The psychedelic revolution is here. If you want to integrate your visionary experiences into your purpose, get clear on your entrepreneurial path and help people while you do what you love, then this podcast is for you. Welcome to The Psychedelic Entrepreneur, medicine for these times. I'm your host, Beth Weinstein. I'm a spiritual business coach, three-time entrepreneur, and a lifelong student of psychedelics and sacred plant medicines. You carry your own unique medicine, and your medicine is what we need for these times. This podcast will help you to share your medicine so you can create transformation in the world. Listen in on conversations with psychedelic leaders, change makers, and conscious entrepreneurs who are living proof that a better world is possible when you follow your heart and live in alignment with your soul. Hello, everyone. Welcome. Today, I'm really excited to have our guest, Alexander Biner, coming to us from the UK. Hi, Alexander. Thanks for being here. Hey, Beth. Thanks for having me. So if you don't know Alexander's work, Alexander is an author and podcaster, and he's one of the founders of the media and events platform Rebel Wisdom. And he's also executive director of Breaking Convention, Europe's longest running conference on psychedelic medicine and culture. His upcoming book, The Bigger Picture, How Psychedelics Can Help Us Make Sense of the World, is being published by Hay House next year. This book explores how psychedelics could transform culture and society. He has a particular interest on how psychedelic experiences can be applied to systems change and improving how we have conversations around difficult cultural topics. He has also covered psychedelic capitalism journalistically for a number of years, with a particular focus on the ways in which economic and cultural incentive structures interact with the transformative potential of psychedelic medicines. Trained as a counselor and a meditation teacher, Alexander also runs retreats centered on combining practices drawn from cognitive science, the wisdom traditions, and psychedelic philosophy to create powerful group experiences. He facilitates legal psychedelic retreats in the Netherlands in partnership with Awaken the Medicine Within, which is how I found him, co-developed with the UK's leading men's work process through Rebel Wisdom, and has designed a number of popular online courses focused on sense-making, embodiment, and conversational practices. He has a particular interest in the phenomenology of psychedelic experience and how we can combine ritual, practice, and collective intelligence to expand consciousness in new ways. And actually, Alexander, I had known about your work through Rebel Wisdom and also Breaking Convention, which was one of the original psychedelic conferences out there. Um, but I would love to know, and and I love this path you're on because it's quite similar to mine, you know, the meditation path. I come from a Buddhist background and of course, psychedelics as well. I would love to know, how did you turn this into your career? Like what was your original path when you were young? And I always like to make this joke, were you on the path of becoming, you know, a corporate lawyer or something like that? <laughs> <laughs> um do you know what? It's such a funny thought for me to think of psychedelics as a career, but I suppose that is now kind of true. So I grew up in uh, near Frankfurt in Germany, and it, that's about two and a half hours from the south of Holland, where mushrooms were, well, still, and uh, um, truffles certainly are legal, but mushrooms were legal when I was growing up. And so we used to, and also I used to uh, you know, enjoy smoking weed when I was sort of like, you know, 17, 18. So we used to drive to Holland 
quite frequently <laughs> and buy weed and then drive home. And then mushrooms were also, you know, that was something that I was sort of aware of. Um, my brother was definitely a big influence on me as well. My brother is, um, you know, was always really into philosophy. I knew about psychedelics through him. And then um, when I was 18, we went up to, to Maastricht in Holland and um, had my first mushroom trip. And I just felt an immediate sense of homecoming, like complete homecoming is the best way I can describe it. Um, and felt that that it was very important. I just felt it was very important, um, the experience. Not, not just my experience, but the experience for everyone. I actually have some questions regarding the topics that you talk about in your book, because this is an area that, you know, clearly with my podcast and the work that I do has always been of interest to me as well. Um, you know, the first time I did psychedelics, I was 14 years old, and I just knew with that experience, I could feel and tell that this there was much more possible. You know, like there's more than we know. There's uh, potential implications for our society, for creating, like you talk about in your bio, systems change, cultural change, transformation. Let's get into this. What is the premise of the book and what is it about? And then we'll go into some more specifics because I have a lot of questions about, you know, how psychedelics could actually uh, affect our entire planet. The premise of the book is that the psychedelic experience contains within it the very same skills and ways of being and insights that we need to make sense of the very complex, weird, dangerous world we live in right now. So in, in some ways, we're on a kind of collective trip, right? We're in a collective process. That might always be true, but certainly right now, we have what I call the big crisis, which um, you know a lot of people call the meta crisis, which is just the multiple overlapping huge problems that we face as a species that are all happening at once. So obviously we have the environmental crisis. Um, we have um, increasing rates of political polarization. We have a crisis of meaning, especially at the heart of consumer culture, where we have no real sense of what we're living for, particularly in Western secular countries. There's a God-shaped hole. Um, we have technolo technology that's increasing at an exponential rate, but don't really have the wisdom of how to use it properly. We have a mental health crisis. All of it is happening at the same time. We, of course, have now inflation and economic crises happening. So we're, we're living through this period where we have some massive, massive problems. Um, they are complex problems, which is different to a complicated problem. Uh, difference is that, you know, if something's complicated, like a grandfather clock, you just go inside it and you figure out which bit is missing and you fix it. And then the whole thing works. A lot of our policies and our attitudes to fixing our big problems are that same attitude. We're like, okay, well, maybe if we recycle or maybe if we just cut carbon or maybe if we do this or whatever it might be, It'll fix it. But we don't realize that, that actually what we're dealing with is something that's complex. We're, we're dealing with something that's constantly changing as we're trying to make sense of it. And in a complex system, like an anthill, for example, it's actually the interaction of multiple different parts that create something more than the sum of its part. So with that in mind, basically psych one of the things psychedelics do, I think, is give us a lived experience of complexity and a lived experience of being part of an interconnected complex system. 
So that's one element, but also the actual skills that we need to navigate the psychedelic experience, discernment, presence, mindfulness, um, a real sense of curiosity and self-compassion, um, a kind of resilience as well, because psychedelic experiences are hard and they're dangerous. So all of these things uh, are the same skill sets that we need to be able to navigate the, the situation that we find ourselves in that I was just describing. So that's probably that's really the main thesis of the book. And, and within underneath that, I explore as well, in particular, the Internet, because in a way, this this experience that we're having of like, you know, picking up our phones 500 times a day and diving into a different reality that is run by different rules and different constraints. And it's a place where nothing is quite as it appears and the way people present themselves in social media isn't quite really what their life is like. It's a place where um, algorithms dictate what we're seeing, where we, we have heightened emotion, where we have heightened, uh, you know, mythical thinking and fantasy. And all of that is very shamanic in a lot of ways. And by which I mean, it's a very psychedelic place to be the internet. And we need to learn how to navigate the internet much, much better than we are right now. So that's, that's another thing I explore. And then, and then finally, at the much deeper level of, well, looking at all those crises that we're facing, you know, I'm always curious about, and I think many people are, well, what is underlying them and what do we do about it? And where, where one of the things that I'm particularly keen on is, um, you know, and after five years through rebel wisdom of speaking to um, what, what may be the best systems thinkers in the world and, and some of the smartest people in the world, is that the problem that we have is metaphysical. Like we can think of designing new systems all day long, but if those systems are designed on a view of the world which sees the world as dead matter and people as um, sort of meat machines wandering around, we might as well quit now because that's never going to create a world um, that's going to survive in my view. Instead, I think the shift has to be really at the deepest level of what is reality and who are we? Uh, in relation to it. And that's what I think psychedelics can can shift more than any other practice that I am aware of to a degree that is is of orders of magnitude different to the shifts we can get uh, through through other practices if, and this is a huge if, <laughs> if we use them correctly, if we use them with the right combination of practices or the right kind of reverence, with the right kind of ritual, with the right kind of ceremony, because they can just as easily take us the other way into, into a deeper sense of a narrow frame of focus and, and a kind of more deeper self-delusion. So that's the big if at the, at the center of the book as well. And I spend a lot of time trying to clarify as best I can and, and discern, well, what does it look like to do it as right as we can right now? Um, so yeah, that's it in a, a big nutshell, let's say. Beautiful. I'm sitting here smiling, like almost laughing because I speak about this often where, you know, I believe psychedelics are here for as teachers, right? Like to really and and they're popular at this time for a reason. You know, that's what I believe um, to really teach us how to be, you know, you mentioned resilient. Um, I always say like to learn how to stay centered in the midst of chaos you know, like the pandemic was maybe only the beginning. And I think there's a certain level of awareness that we are not just entering in back to quote normal, that our world is entering into this whole new phase. And 
Lord knows what's going to happen. But yeah, you just named, you know, a huge amount of the issues that we're already facing as it is. And Lord knows what else is going to come. And these psychedelics, as you said, can be quite challenging. You know, they're not always fun and pretty and, you know, just enjoyable. Um, For me in particular, they seem to actually be more challenging than enjoyable. Uh, But it's really just deepened so much that practice of learning how to stay grounded and centered and connected and have a really deep spiritual practice to know that there's there's much more here than just, you know, like that that little um, survival and make money just to purchase things and be part of this system that, you know, again, like a lot of us were programmed to just believe, you know, you come here, you're born, you make money and you die. And it's so much deeper than that. And I'm curious, you know, do you touch upon, or or I'm curious what your views are on the root of these issues? Because I speak about that a lot because, you know, for, for instance, I help people come into their heart and start businesses. Like that's what I do for my work, essentially. Find some meaning and purpose in our work because most people, at least here in the Western world, spend a third of our life working. And in my personal opinion, a lot of the depression, anxiety, you know, issues that we're dealing with, you know, the need for um, people wanting to do ketamine or psilocybin to heal their depression is actually caused by these deeper systematic roots, which is, you know, people have jobs that they hate. People feel like they have no meaning. They're a slave to society. They're a slave to capitalism. It's keeping up with the Joneses, trying to pay the bills. You know, it's this deeper systematic issue. And I'm curious, you know, do you do you touch on this? And what do you feel is at the root? Because I personally feel like it's, you know, a spiritual disconnection from self, earth, and spirit. That's just putting that in like one sentence. And of course we could talk for, you know, years about this, but I'm curious, like, do you dive deep into these, these root causes and maybe potential solutions for them? Yeah, absolutely. I have a whole chapter on that. In fact, well, in in some ways multiple, but yeah. Um, That's a really good question. What is the root? I mean, I kind of wrestle with this all the time. I I don't think there's a single root cause, Um, but I do think there are certain causes which are more significant than others. Um, Starting on one level, uh, a little higher up, the incentive structures of our economic systems are a major factor. Um, And a lot of people we've had in the past on Rebel Wisdom, people like Daniel Schmachtenberger, for example, do a really great job of looking at what's the game theory of... um, uh, the systems we're part of, and, and game theory is really just the economics of com- competition. And there's a really great, um, b- very long but excellent blog post by the blogger Scott Alexander called Meditations on Moloch, which I'd highly recommend people check out. Um, and I think this is a really useful metaphor. So, so Moloch is a, uh, a Canaanite deity kind of appears in the bible it's like a god of war and moloch like people would sacrifice their children to moloch in order in order to basically get what you know be successful in war but that that metaphor is really like it's a god that asks you to sacrifice that which is most sacred and important to you to get what you want in the material world and so alan ginsburg wrote a poem called howl um where he he used Moloch as a metaphor for not just capitalism, but certainly that, but this sort of force of entropy and extraction in the world, right? 
Um, Scott Alexander did a great job of, of expanding that out and applying it to game theory. And, uh, you know, one example I use in the book is imagine you have, uh, so this it's called the multipolar trap, right? Or, or a race to the bottom, right? Which, which we're all kind of familiar with. And this really applies to the psychedelic world and psychedelic capitalism massively when people say, yeah, but there's really good people in the, in the psychedelic pharma companies and VCs. It's like, yeah, sure, there are. There are, absolutely. It doesn't matter, though, because if the system itself is makes it impossible for a single actor to do anything but get with the game or go, then you're screwed. This is beautiful and slightly depressing what you just shared. Um, it's funny because I it came up so much this weekend. I was recently at a psychedelic conference and of course, the word extractive comes up a lot. It's interesting. I, I, My original career was in the apparel industry, and it was one of the most polluting industries. And then when I was there, um, this idea of organic fabrics came out. And it's kind of the same thing that you just brought up. It's this whole like greenwashing where actually organic fabrics are actually more destructive to the water systems and utilize more water. But of course, now everybody's like, let's just buy organic and feel better. And it's not actually creating real change. It's, it's potentially actually making things worse because now people are just buying more, thinking it's okay. So again, like these deeper systematic problems, which I bring up, you know, almost every conversation I've had the past few years is, is about this, where, you know, my prayer is that the more people are looking to work with psychedelics, especially the plant medicines and maybe even the DMTs that are um, definitely powerful teachers, but we'll have them see that we are actually all interconnected and to actually give a water agency and, and indigenous cultures and peoples like full sovereignty or to understand that everything is interconnected, including every single decision you make, which I always say it's the financial decisions, the money decisions, and hopefully these big VCs and entrepreneurs in this space, you know, will somehow get there. Um, it's funny because I was kind of like jokingly hazing some VCs this weekend at the conference, kind of just grilling them on their their actual psychedelic experiences. And there was a moment where I'm like, wow, maybe this this is kind of scary and unfortunate. And I'm very much like you. I have a lot of mixed feelings about even being in this space you know, and I'm not even really in this space. I just have this this one little niche that it's like I work with a lot of medicine people. But I want to talk to you about this because it is a concern for a lot of listeners. It's a concern for me. You know, there's days where I just want to quit and go live in the jungle and take myself off of anything, you know, and a lot. There are many of those days. But then I know we also have voices that are important in the world to create systematic change. What do you feel is you know, a potential solution or um, on our, our way to a solution in the psychedelic world? Like, how do we come into balance with this this place of, hey, there is a demand on planet Earth right now for the plant medicines, for this work? You know, there's a growing demand because of the actual mental health crisis um, and this, you know, lack of purpose, the lack of meaning, the lack of understanding who we are. There's a literal existential crisis. But then there's like, the extraction, the money, the capitalism, the VCs, you know, I mean, people are, you know, this, I'm, I'm like preaching to the choir here, people making compounds out of, you know, psilocybin to then be able to patent it to then go sell and make, you know, become the Starbucks of psilocybin. And it is freaking scary. What are your views on trying to get this balance between the 
the demand and the supply and the the powers that be? How do we come to terms with this? Yeah, so Kat Kinnor, um is the founder of the RN Project and one of the founders of North Star Pledge, who are looking for um, finding ways of, of you know answering these kind of questions. And Liana Jaluli, who works at Maps, um, but also is is uh, leading up the North Star Pledge. I've had conversations with them frequently around these topics. And yeah, something Kat said in one of the films I put out around psychedelic capitalism was that, you know, there is always going to be a multitude of different ways that people approach psychedelics. Um, There's going to be really horrific ways and there's going to be really beautiful, deeply held ways. And there'll be multiples of, of all of them. I think the most important thing is to ensure, to go back to the metaphor of Moloch, that one way, particularly the venture capitalist funded pharma way, doesn't gain enough power to be able to take over the whole ecosystem. Likewise, I think the same is true of psychiatry. Um, I don't think psychiatry should be holding the reins of the psychedelic renaissance either. I think they should be have their hands on the reins along with um, spiritual practitioners, along with um, a well-regulated underground or something that used to be the underground, something where there's accountability. The problem with the underground is there's no accountability. Some great people working, but there's no way to hold them accountable. And that's always a problem for everyone. Um, And then, you know, indigenous expressions and and actual proper indigenous reciprocity that doesn't just involve throwing money at, at a kind of homogenous group of indigenous people, but recognizing the different needs, wants, different political motivations, different um, sacred practices, understanding what does it really mean to adopt those practices? What does it really mean to be in in reciprocal relationship, which is a relationship, which is an exchange? Like all of those questions um, have to be happening. And all of those conversations have to be happening at the same time, in my view. I, I have a phrase I like called clinics and churches, which I say a lot, which is just the idea, especially that we need clinical approaches and sacred ceremonial religious approaches. Because the power dynamics are um, very important to look at and constantly keep in mind. Why, why would psychiatry be in charge of the psychedelic renaissance? Because an assumed authority around who is sick and who is well. Um, and certainly, the onus is really on psychiatry to prove, I think, can they reliably hold the kind of sacred mystical experiences people are having on psychedelics? This is so, so well said. And I I love that because it's kind of like, I just keep thinking of this term, like the shadow work, right? It's kind of like, well, it's so much easier to bypass all the the really deep, hard stuff that no one wants to look at, but really, um, you know, to bring it all to the surface. Because, you know, like you said, we can't just get rid of, we can't get rid of the ego. We can't get rid of the anger of the desires of the you know, wanting the capitalism. I mean, capitalism exists right now, you know, and there is this kind of innate desire because of, especially here in the Western world, the programming where it's like, okay, well, we can, cause I, I know I come from this Buddhist path where it was like, oh, I'm not supposed to want this. And I'm like, well, wait a second, but that's actually a, a form of spiritual bypassing in itself. If I'm not recognizing this, this deep need and not only that, but like literal, like core, wounding around survival and feeling safe on planet earth, you know? So you said it right here. This is a topic that's come up a lot for me lately that I actually bring into a lot of my work. Cause I'm like, we can't, we can't pretend this doesn't exist, you know, in order to change these systems that are totally broken for the planet, 
you know, we can't just go. Um, I forgot who it was that I talked to. I think it was Rack Razam who had said this. And, and I had read about this too, where there's, you know, people that are like, oh, we're going to fix the melting glaciers and, you know, like um, with, you know, putting plastic in there to hold it up or, you know, whatever they're coming up with. And I'm like, really? Like, you think that's going to be the solution on planet Earth is we're going to come up with these like 3D printed things to just like stick in places and hope they work? You know, it's like there's there's this much deeper layer that, you know, this is my prayer with the the medicine work and the the psychedelics is that maybe it will open up these new realms. I mean, I'm curious to know, um, what are your views on the direction this whole psychedelic movement is going? Um, cause you know, I have to say I spent three days, two and a half days at this conference and majority of the time I was a little depressed and I actually don't get depressed. I'm very rarely, it did give me hope when I was hanging out with the cool people that believe, you know, that think the way I do. But when I heard some other stories, I was like, whoa, I mean, this is real. And again, like we have to talk about this because I keep saying like, hey, if we don't like the way maybe this one group is doing things or this, you know, these group of people with money or whoever, um, you know, we can't support them. But of course, you know, who knows if they can be stopped. But I'm curious, do you feel good and positive about the direction this whole psychedelic space is going, this ecosystem? This is the idea I'm playing with a lot at the moment. If we can recognize that we are part of something way bigger and more important than us, then maybe we have a kind of interesting synthesis to start playing with. The good news is, is I do believe in the end, you know, at least maybe it's because I'm in this bubble of interviewing people like you. Um, I do believe ma majority are in it for the greater good, um, for, you know, this bigger mission of seeing system change and the world change and hopefully some level of, you know, spiritual uh, expansion and what I would call healing, which I don't, you know, again, I don't even like to use that word to, you know, just assume that there's actually something wrong, but to, to really start to address these deeper roots. And um, Alexander, so I want to give you an opportunity to share a little bit more about your work and the book that's coming up and what you have coming out in the next six to 12 months. Like what's, you know, what's happening with Breaking Convention and Rebel Wisdom? Yeah, a few different things really, but um People go to alexanderbinder.com. You can um, find all of that. Beautiful. So Rebel Wisdom's like done. You're letting go of it. Yeah, yeah. We're letting go. We, we, we've, um, yeah, it's just it's just the right time. And kind of, uh, it's been been a good, really beautiful kind of five-year process, but we're both moving in different directions. And the, and the project itself just feels like it wants or needs to end. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. Well, Look at all that's about to rebirth or, or birth from that. Alexander, I, you know, I'd actually love to bring you back on when your book is about to release because I want to dive deeper into this. This is actually some of my favorite topics to talk about. Um, you know, and it is a very psychedelic, strange experience um, to be witnessing this. But, you know, I have faith in whatever it is that needs to emerge. And hey, you know, worst case scenario, if we just, you know, extinct ourselves as a species, then what can we do? It is what it is, right? Like, I'm okay with that. <laughs> but hopefully, I am just, all jokes aside, I actually love to bring light to really um, these dark topics because, you know, if we don't make fun of ourselves, like, what's the point of living, right? But I appreciate this book that you wrote. I appreciate you so much 
sharing this level of wisdom and topics that are so important for these changing times we're in. Thank you so much for the medicine that you bring to the world. I appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you're feeling inspired, I'd appreciate it if you showed your love with a review. And check out my YouTube channel where you can find the video version of this podcast. You can also head to BethAWeinstein.com to learn more about me and grab my free business growth trainings. Remember, you carry your own unique medicine and your medicine is what we need for these times.